Alright, welcome back to the Rudy Shoes Podcast, where we're gathering around the table to bridge the generational gap and discuss the root issues of our culture. Uh, as always, I'm Brian Matthew. With me is Pastor Steve Woodrow and Pastor Chris Henderson. Man, uh, can I just first say, when I miss a week of talking to you guys, like I miss it. It's, it's a fun time. It's I don't know, time. hopefully people listening are enjoying this as much as I do, because sitting here with you guys has been super fun. But uh, I'm so back this week. You're out of mourning for the loss. Uh, the Do- I mean, we br- talked about the Dodgers, and then I missed the next week, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they're yes. going to give me a hard time. I'm not just gone because of the Dodgers. Loss. But I, I did. I was rooting against the Astros. I know we have probably some Texas listeners. I'm sorry. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Anyways, uh, this week um, we are back, you know, and again, every Wednesday we're going to be putting out this podcast to uh, give you that midweek jolt that we've been talking about. And uh, this week, Steve, you're talking about the goodness about judgment. The good so, news about good judgment. News. Oh, a lot of people my. think those are like contradictory terms, but um, yeah, we dove in. You know, uh, Do you want to give us a quick recap what you talked about on Sunday? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we dove in. We're in chapter 5 of Revelation as we're journeying through the book of Revelation. And we come to, we're still in the throne room, chapter 4. Last week we were in the throne room. In chapter 5, we go deeper because now Jesus, right, the lamb that's slain, shows up in the, in the courtroom and, uh, and, and brings, you know, he's the one who is worthy. And we have all of heaven, right, erupt into this, uh, this glorious worship of, of Jesus, who the lamb who's been slain, who is now worthy to take the scroll out of God's hand. Well, what is this scroll? Uh, it's most likely the book of life. It is the kind of the deed to the earth. And it was Jesus' purpose in coming. He's making all things right again on heaven and earth. And and uniting these things together. And the beginning of that is his first coming where he comes and, and takes our judgment for us in, and so we can stand in the presence of God, right? As Hebrews says, boldly go before the throne of grace. And we can't experience grace until we have, right, this this problem of sin, this, this barrier we have um, in our relationship with God. And Jesus comes and and this is the good news. He takes our judgment. He takes the wrath of God. He takes our punishment that we uh, deserve, right, because of our rejection, rebellion against God. And, uh, and he covers us with his righteousness. This is, there's no better news in all the world. And unless I have that context, I'm, I'm going to be real insecure as I move into the book of Revelation. Because the last book of the Bible, Jesus, when he returns a second time, he returns as judge, reigning king to make all things right on earth. And that's why so many people kind of shy away from Revelation or in time stuff. It's because it's, it's all around God making right now the earth. He's come, Jesus, the first time, right, to make us right, to offer this free gift of the gospel. He's coming a second time to bring justice. And we kind of talked about this idea that, you know, we want to... Today, justice is such, we'll talk about this, I know, such an uh, important um, theme and <clears throat> passion for so many people. But you can't have justice without judgment. It's, it's, there's no such thing. Uh, if it's real judgment, justice, there has to be judgment. And, and that has bled into this idea in the church today that we want Jesus without judgment. And, and we can't have that. We, we, and uh, Jesus is first coming. He took care of our judgment. He's coming back again to be judged and to bring judgment on this earth. And these two fit together and we're to <clears throat> understand that. And uh, Jesus, if, it's not, if he's not the reigning king to make all things right, then uh, there cannot be any justice in the world. And he's the one that ultimately is the solution to the judgment issue and the justice issue. Yeah, that's good. I know Chris was saying something uh, before we started here, just the the idea of, 
You look confused. Uh, it's seven hours and 53 minutes. Oh, okay. Don't worry. Seven minutes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at the memory card. Oh, Do sorry. we have enough memory? Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Chris, you were talking about just the idea of justice and, and especially for, you know, you're in, in it thick with the middle school and high schoolers. Um, you mind just sharing, like, wh- what's the opinion of, of justice and just Generation Z? Well, I mean, when you look at, like, Generation Z, it's not so much justice is a key word as much as injustice is because they're looking for anything that is placed and seen as unjust or unjust or just something that is not just and they want to fix it and correct it and so it is a key word like you know they're rallying behind causes they don't understand the full writ of the cause or what's really going on they're just riled up because they want to see us be our best answer you know and bring justice to things and so that's where all the different movements are, and it is so indoctrinated in everything they look at, everything that, it, you know, from their cartoons to movies to commercials, it, it just speaks to them about taking things that are not just and trying to make them just. And, yes, I, I would say, like, yeah, they don't really understand the full element of there has to be judgment in there because they would say we can't judge, but we judge, and so it gets into that now. I think one of the biggest correlations that I've seen within the Gen Z is that correction and judgment has been given a new definition, and that definition is rejection. Hmm. So if somebody corrects them, if somebody judges them, critiques them, in their insecurities, they see it as they personally are being rejected, and so they go straight to the defense. That, that's interesting. One, yeah, something I've been realizing uh, as a millennial myself, I feel like a lot of millennials' parents were, were so strict that millennials, in a sense, swung the extreme opposite and were super gracious, super lenient, and you know, and hands-off parenting. Uh, and I almost feel like the Gen Z, like the, well, the next generation, whoever our kids are going to grow up to be, are the ones who are, are fighting back to try and swing it back to correcting the you know like hands-on correcting but I, they almost didn't have it modeled like what proper judgment looks like and you know as a, a parent like I, I can see the draw to have a hands-off like oh my kid's gonna figure it out and really just gonna speak life into them but when they don't have that ingrained in them uh, taught to them they don't really know what a proper judgment looks like and, and how healthy it can be right uh, right absolutely Absolutely. Well, I mean, when you look at, like, you know, whether it's truth or a lie, correction and judgment equaling rejection, you know, then it's a personal attack to which they have to defend themselves. And it is a stem. Like, Gen Z have been tagged as, like, a group that tends to maybe sway a little more than other generations to the rule following and to staying within the rules because there's so much fear wrapped up in I won't be accepted. And it doesn't necessarily just fall into, like, you know, God's plan. It just falls into whoever I need to please, <laughs> I'm going to please because I don't want to be rejected. Right. And so I'm going to follow whatever rules are put before me. I'm going to stay away from things that maybe I shouldn't get into. Or I'm going to be extremely covert and cover those things up. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's crazy. I mean, Gen Z their idea of acceptance is followers and likes and comments and how much fame and publicity they can bolster as, as opposed to hopefully like how much truth can I speak? And yeah, 
No, totally. Yeah. And I mean, like when Steve started it off, you know, he was like, what riles you up, you know? And it's like, you know, for every person and for every group of people, there's going to be something different that riles them up. And it may be unjust. It may be like, oh, my gosh, like you're not following God's path. You know, you're not following God's plan or maybe you're not swaying to exactly what the culture says. And so there's just that lie in there that just constantly sends us to defend ourselves. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think what, these are just great bridges, right, today. Uh, all of this, I, I'm sure that, you know, nobody wants to be canceled today, right? The fear of being <laughs> yeah. canceled, so people are just lining up, following the, you know, whatever the right thing is to say, to please people, to, mm-hmm. you know, affirm, and, and we're lost in here is truth. Lost in here is, uh, you know, good truth speaking, right? And and so I think what a wonderful bridge to the glorious of the gospel. Again, the idea of... Um, the good news and judgment, right? Which mm-hmm. is for those that feel rejected. What a powerful expression of the heart that is, right? To feel rejected by uh, feedback or criticism, whatever it may be, no matter how healthy it is, right? Just reveals, right, an insecurity, right, in their identity, right, and who they are. And boy, that's where we should go right after. Because again, uh, the glory of the gospel is when we understand what Jesus did for us, right? That he took our judgment, right? He made us right. And the deepest question we can process, right, with any, doesn't matter what generation, is um, am I right with God? Right. How do I get right with God? Because if, if I have confidence, think about this, if I have confidence that I'm right with God and I can stand in his presence, um, now, in my fellowship and communion with him, and in knowing I have confidence in eternal life in the future, if, I, if I'm confident of that, then I can take any rejection, and I, I can live under what Jesus says, hey, be blessed are you when you're reviled for my name. We can stand under his grace, right? And there's nothing more fortifying for our identity, especially a young person's identity, to know they're right with God. And there's only one thing. That gets us right with God, and that's the gospel. It's what Jesus did, and the primary thing He did was, was He covered us. He took our our judgment and gave us new life. And we can't separate right those those things. There isn't this Jesus without a judgment, right? That's robbing the very guts of what He did for us uh, at the gospel. And holding on to come Lord Jesus. He's coming back as reigning king to make all things right, you know, one day, and that's to bring ultimate justice right to this world. Yeah, well, I think the one that most unfortunate things that I've been kind of witnessing uh, with some of the high schoolers that I've talked to and even younger, um, it's just this loss of the fear of God. Like, I, right. I mean, I love, I love hearing you, you talk about, you know, standing in the presence of the Lord and he, what he's done. He's sent his son, all that stuff. Right. Uh, but what I hear from a lot of high schoolers right now is they know it and they just don't care. Like right. they're, they're seeking this, the things of this world that would satisfy their their own personal needs or what feels good in the moment, mm-hmm. um, whether it's you know right. drugs, alcohol, pornography, what you know whatever whatever it may be, right, uh, right. And even talking to them, that there's not that sense of even a fear of judgment because they're like, no, we're you know, Jesus died for my sins, I'm good, I'm covered, like that right. Right. soft grace. So I th- <clears throat> there's two things. One is that our culture has sanitized, right, our, our language, right, mm-hmm. uh, of any kind of, as you, Chris, you were saying earlier, of just any kind of judgment language, right? We've just, right, it's just not PC, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody says, oh, but I'm not judging, you know. 
in any language of that, dealing with any kind of personal responsibility, especially ultimate responsibility that I'm going to stand right and give mm. an account of my actions, is just kind of wiped away from our culture. So that's one th- issue. And it's not just young people. That's right. all ages, mm. people dealing with the issue of where's the fear of God today, right? And a respect, you know, but it is fear of God. He's holy, as we'll see in this, in chapter 5 of Revelation, right? Anytime we see in the Bible uh, the presence of God at the throne room, people mm-hmm. are in worship. They're on their hands. They're on their face. They are reverent. They realize they're in a holy place. They are overwhelmed with the presence of God. And in the scripture, when God shows up, everybody goes to their face. Mm-hmm. And that is lost. But the other end of this is is the church, is we have not done a good job of holding on this aspect of the goodness of judgment that this is the root of the at the heart of gospel of what jesus has done he's taken that for us he's made us right before god if we're uh if we'll um believe in him uh and so we have kind of watered this down we've given somewhat of this kind of heavily seeker idea of the jesus we can have jesus but no no judgment right and uh and we've mixed up you know some of those things and i think this is deep water uh, people have gone, just a couple verses here to go a little deeper on this issue, um, is some people brought up the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 7 of Matthew, and Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, um, for with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he goes on you know, to talk about the parable of, hey, you get, the, you get the log out of your eye before you help get the, the speck out of your neighbor's eye. But it ends in saying, once you get your log out, now you need to help your brother get the speck out. So in other words, what, is people take this go, hey, well, look, we're not to judge, and, and judgment's bad. Uh, Jesus says, that's the Sermon on the Mount, and, and that should be the very heart attitude, because only God is the judge. In this, and that's where the fear of God comes. Is He's the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate one that we stand before. And there should be a great humility as we deal with others and love others to understand uh, we need to lead people to the truth of God, right? So that they will be free and right with God, right? With the gospel. Um, but even, even I, I think the people that just, you know, think, oh, no, Jesus is all great. There's no, there's no judgment in anything. I, the verses I give you, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and Paul was very clear that on that day, believers will stand before the Bema seat, which is the judgment seat of Christ. And there'll be a judgment, that's the word that's used in the scripture, of our, uh, our stewardship. In other words, have we been faithful because of the magnitude of the gospel? What have I done with that? What have I done right. with my life? If I honor Jesus with my life, we will give an account, and that's where you see all the parables that say, well done, good and faithful, enter in, right, to your masters. There will be given an account. That is almost washed out of so much communication today and in the gospel. And the other one is James 3.1, which I, I live under a healthy fear of. James 3.1 says to us, not many of you be teachers. You will be held to a stricter judgment. You know, and uh, Jesus says we'll be held accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth. And so we're, why are those there? People go, well, that doesn't sound like good news. No, it's phenomenal news because mm-hmm. here's the deal. If I live, if I understand what Jesus has done for me, he's taken my job, I'm right and free before God, is to hold these other passages where I know I'm going to give an account that keeps me very humble. It keeps me before the throne of God's grace. It keeps me knowing, God, I want to please you. It keeps me really wrestling with this core, core, deep thing. I know the gospel's taken hold when in my life I desire to please God more and more rather than myself or others. That is a key element of the Spirit of God working in my life. And when I know that uh, I'm going to stand before him, not my salvation is secure. He took my judgment. Mm-hmm. That's the grace of God. But I will stand before him, give an account of, well, 
you know, did you believe that it take hold of that grace and did it bring effect? In other words, what have you done with what I've, and he judges impartially, right? He it says in the scripture that we all will be individually right there before him. And, and as well as what we teach, right? Boy, we so quick to just kind of throw, got a thousand bajillion podcasts out there. Well, right, is that anybody who's a teacher, boy, right? It, it better be a, a process of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you know, to uh, walk with God and, and give the truth, right? Right. And I think kind of for me, it's just, that, that's encouraging, you know, you said it can kind of seem daunting or whatever, um, but it gives you a sense of purpose and identity. I mean, it gets clear cut. If you're following Christ and you're following the Bible, right. like it's it's not wavering, it's not soft or fluffy or, you know, and, and I try and adopt that even for our Sunday school. You know, I asked our third and fourth graders, recently i said hey what what would how would you respond if god actually entered this room if god's presence was actually in this room you know and we kind of lose because we start talking about oh jesus is our friend he forgives us of our sins all the good and true stuff but right i mean we we kind of lose that the awe and reverence of right. uh you know if god was standing before us if we were standing before god you know what what would be our reaction what would be our response and wouldn't it radically change how we worship, right? It would radically change. That's the other aspect of spiritual maturity is I know God is moving. When, I, when my understanding of church gathering together with a body of believers in worship, how I view that, mm-hmm. in other words, as Romans says, do I come with an idea to bring a living sacrifice to my God and to give him my worship, right? Praise him versus right all the other things that can hit our minds of why I'm <laughs> here or what I'm doing. It's a complete refocus of, wow, we're in, and we see it with scripture after scripture that speaks about calling God's people into that place of worship and reverence, right, mm-hmm. before, before God. And that's when, when the church gets that, uh, it, as a spirit comes, and, and uh, that's when mighty things, right, happen. And because God comes to where he's desired, where he's pleased, where people desire him and his presence more than just right, addressing these other issues. Rather, many people, right, the whole seeker movement was built upon, let's, let's focus on what makes people feel comfortable here. Well, guess what? Is in the process of that, um, we got our focus on ourselves or others, what we think, rather than on what, what pleases God here. Mm-hmm. You know? And it corrupts our worship, ultimately. Yeah. I know, funny story. I, on Sunday school this past Sunday, we were talking about um, just Joshua and how when you know, God finally delivered on this promise, from Abraham and, you know, building an altar to God saying, God, thank you. I had to, I had them get a clump of Play-Doh and said, Hey, can you build it? Like without talking, see if you guys can build an altar together. They had no idea what an altar was. And so we had to kind of describe like, it's this, uh, you know, an object or a place that directs your worship to God, your thankfulness to him. And then we started talking about what altars actually look like for us as we worship other things in in our world and our phones and whatever it is we've built so many other altars we don't actually know what an altar to worship god looks like even even though it's described in the bible all the time big big lesson big lesson right wow just keep watching the clock tick (laughs) okay so here let's go back to am i right with god okay because i think that is like a foundational question that most people can't answer uh, most people who think they are mature followers of Christ probably cannot answer if I'm right with God. They could probably tell us that they've accepted Jesus, they have grace, and they have salvation. But having that answered question, um, am I right with God, is going to be an identity issue. 
And so when we look at like the Gen Z area, you know, the questions they're asking, am I right with myself? Am I right with my peers? Am I right with culture? And so they're going to this divining place. Now that roots from what Brian is talking about, you know, a hands-off type of parenting. Because if we look at God, one of his primary roles is to give us identity. You know, all through the Old Testament, he's giving identity to the nation Israel. He's giving identity to Abraham. He's renaming people, giving them their identity. We see Silas, you know, to Paul. Am I right there? Silas, right? Saul. 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 Not Silas. Saul. Saul to Paul. You know, there's this renaming going on because identity is being given. And I think that um, for a lot of our kids today, they're not seeing identity being given to them from their parents, especially their father, that then identifies them in a relationship with God. Yeah. And then in that absence, well, you're looking at a father who has not been given identity yet to know that his identity is in God as well so that he can pass that on to his children. Sure. So they are searching for identity. They're searching for it, and they're asking questions, but they're not looking towards God mm-hmm. because they do not see that anybody's ever lived or walked out of an identity that came from God. Um, Then you moved into, like, you know, the biggest tell of our soul, you know, the thing that's going to identify who we are and what we want to please, you know. And so our culture has just lived under the lie for so many years under social media of likes and applause and, you know, thumbs up, all of those different things, that that's what drives us to know that this is what pleases me. This is where I find gratification. So there has to be a shift at some point where people are saying that I can answer the question, am I right with God, because I know my identity is rooted in God. And then you can enter the throne room because you know your identity is so tied up with Jesus and how you live and what you do. But that's going to have to start from the parental side or from role model side right. or in Sunday school just teaching that truth of who are you. Mm-hmm. And I would just say there's a, you know, another just key element of discipleship, right, is people come to faith, but if no one walks alongside intimately with them to take that gospel and get it in their soul, right, it's one thing to believe it, but boy, we, we have to break that down. And that should be the beginning steps of discipleship yeah. is getting that identity. What does this mean about me? What is it? And to really understand, it is it the gospel that makes us right with God? And that is a, a being a new creation, all those beautiful things that come because of the gospel, but we need someone to walk with us right and to show us that yeah all right uh well that's all the time we have for today again it flies by every time but uh steve do you have any closing remarks any any uh, just kind of encouraging no. words yeah i know i think uh i think i said I do, uh I do, I do, everything i do i do i do i yeah. do i do I do. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Okay, so real fast, because you know, we're only at 2257. Oh. So, you know. But <laughs> I love this last statement when you were landing on the message on Sunday. Positivity has to be rooted in reality. And, you know, God has to be centralized and centered. And I think so many people are lost in what gives them hope and what gives them positive thoughts, you know, and then, you know, we've all heard it like, hey, if you think positive things, good things will come your way, right. you know, but there's truth to that if your positivity is rooted in the truth of God. Yeah. And so that has to kind of be shifted to say, you know, what makes me feel good about who I am? What makes me feel good about where I know I'm going? It has to be rooted 
back in Christ. And we have to deny all the other things that are seeking our attention that take us off of the fact that Jesus is our advocate. He has spoken for us. And anything that is good within us comes from him because of what he did and our choosing to follow him and say that he is Lord. And so that gets into identity as well, like, you know, can you claim him as your Lord? And so I just love that concept because of just there is a hopelessness in our world right now as we look to ourselves to be our best answer instead of looking to something that is greater than ourselves to be our best answer. That's good. Yeah. Well, I I think I love that, uh, Steve, you brought up discipleship and, you know, Chris, the whole process of finding identity uh, I think step number one is if, if you're out there and you feel like you want to disciple others and you just haven't had the opportunity, please reach out to us. And if you're someone who is looking to be discipled, uh, you know, we, we are free to hear from you and we want to connect you as best as possible. Uh, you can reach us at rootissues at gmail. Oh, uh, nope, sorry. It's rootissues <laughs> at ccaspen.com. Uh, and if for any questions or testimonies, we'd love to hear from you guys. Otherwise, that's all the time we have and we'll see you next week.